Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, we are uh, continuing this morning in our uh, discussion. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving and good time with family and time of relaxation. And thanking God for all that He has done for us and the ways that He provides for us. Uh, we're ha- we have a couple of Sundays before we get into the Christmas season in our messages, so we're going to look at the next this week and next week at uh, the topic of engage and how we are to be engaging the culture around us, the people around us, and we want to uh, reflect the heart of God in our interactions and in our lives with the people that are around us. Uh, I couldn't hardly uh, do a series on engagement without looking at the the story, the the parable, uh, several parables in Luke 15. Uh, I remember uh, putting my kids to bed and reading this several times, talking about how this is one of the most important passages in the Bible, in that it is a passage that speaks to us about the heart of God, about His attitude and His desire for people in the world. And this should always be part or the heartbeat of the church that we uh, recognize that God is the creator and sustainer and ruler and that He gives life to all of us. But we have run away from him and he longs for us to come back he longs for us to be his people and that he is calling people out of the world to a new relationship with him in Jesus who has covered our sin and that that is what should be the characterization of the people of God that God is gracious, that God offers forgiveness, that there is life found in Jesus. And the attitude of the heart of God the Father towards us sinners, lost people, is put on display in Luke chapter 15 through the, the stories and the parables of Jesus. As we look at this uh, passage, I, I always find it interesting to read the first two verses because they set up the context of this passage. And it uh, really uh, comes out of a conflict with the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, let's read Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, The contrast between the religious folk and Jesus' response is seen right off the bat, immediately. And that contrast is... uh, cause of surprise, uh, not if you've been reading the Gospels, but surprise in 
the understanding of what God was doing in the whole Old Testament as He gave His Word, as He called people to Himself. He didn't call for separation, but He called for inclusion. He called for restoration and new life to reach to all the peoples. And the the scribes and Pharisees and the religious people were seeking to be holy, to do what God wanted them to do, but in some serious way made a disconnect and separated themselves and kind of made themselves into a little holy huddle where they didn't interact with people and they tried to not be touched by sinners and people that were uh, doing things like tax collectors who were on the bottom rung of society. And Jesus came into the world and churned that upside down. And that's the very debate that is being raised here because the scribes and Pharisees are questioning what Jesus is doing hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. And so the parables that we find in in Luke 15 really address that issue. And it really takes us to the heart of God. His attitude. His longing for people. And from each of these stories we learn something about God's desire. God's openness to those who are lost. Those who are wayward. And sometimes we don't like to use the words lost and saved much in our culture. But in actuality, those are good terms because they speak to something that all of us are. And that is lost without Jesus. And saved speaks to all that we have when we are saved by Jesus. Not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done for us. So, this morning I'd like to, even though it is quite a lengthy chapter, I was debating as to whether to read it all or not, but actually probably the most powerful thing that we do as believers together is to read the Scriptures and to hear the Word of God as we read them together. And so I'd like to go ahead and read the 31 verses of this chapter. And as we do so, let's humble ourselves before the Lord and ask Him to be our teacher as we hear these words. Luke chapter 15, I'll read starting at verse 1 again. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says... 
rejoice with me. Excuse me, I felt that coming on. Uh, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. (laughs) I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and killed it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As we look at this passage, we're reminded of the real scandal here between the scribes and Pharisees and Jesus. Because the scribes and Pharisees who had the, the word of God were to be shepherds of the people, yet they were not. And Ezekiel raises the, the warning to these uh, 
these Pharisees. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? In verse 4, You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. In verse 10 and 12 in Ezekiel 34, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. God's heart has always been Old Testament and New sharpened in the New Testament with the arrival of Jesus, a pursuit for those who are lost. And this chapter 15 in Luke shows us God's desire for those who are outside the fold, who are lost. So there's a couple of things I want us to learn from this passage as we think about it. First, we must reflect the Father's heart that something precious is lost. At the base of what we should be demonstrating as we gather together as God's people and we recognize the grace of God that has taken us and and given us life and lifted us up out of our sinfulness and rebellion and brought us into a glorious relationship with, with God through Christ Jesus. One of the things that must be reflected in our lives as redeemed people is that those that are outside of the fold, those outside of the church, those who do not know Jesus, are precious to God. And He longs to send us, send His people, send His Word, to send His very Son into this broken world to bring restoration and life. Because those people are precious to God. And sometimes it's easy for us to get into us against them, to feel like there is such a disconnect and and such a, a difference of values and opinions and ways of living and priorities that we don't feel like there's a bridge there. But we as people that follow Jesus and know His example and His heart and His life must do all we can to bridge that gap. It is part of who we are as the people of God. It is at the heart of who we are that God recognizes that people that are lost are precious. And we as a church, as a people, must see that these people are precious. And so Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Don't be, don't be criticizing me for being with the sinners and the tax collectors. 
even though tax collectors in some ways were the, the, the lowest of the low because they would buy franchises from the Roman government so that they could tax the Jewish people for the benefit of the Roman government. Seems like a treacherous, traitorous thing to do. And yet God knew, Jesus demonstrates by his life, that those very people were precious to God. And so the lost sheep is a picture of a shepherd who has a a hundred sheep, but one goes away. And what does he do but leave the 99 alone and go to pursue that one lost sheep? It's a picture of God's heart and love for lost people. And when he uses the illustration of the, the woman with lost coin what we see as, is that she is willing to turn her house upside down, to take everything out of the house, to sweep the house, to search diligently for that one coin. Why? Because that is a precious coin. Sure, it, it meant a lot to her in terms of her living. It probably was a year's salary. or We're not exactly sure. But the, the, the message is clear. That which is lost is precious. We might think about that last story of the prodigal son, which has been changed, and I agree, to the prodigal God. Because the word prodigal means lavish, uh, extravagant. It's not the prodigal son who goes out and extravagantly throws himself into sin. It's more the picture of the prodigal God who's extravagantly gracious to someone who has rejected him and turned away from him. And we might say, well, there wasn't any pursuit of that son. There wasn't any longing for him. But we can't miss reading the story that when the son finally comes to himself and realizes that the hands, the the workers on his father's farm have more food than he does, that he needs to return and say, I'm not worthy to be your son, just hire me as a hand. That when he's coming from a long way off, the father sees him. We don't know how long he's been gone. We don't know if it's been one month, six months, two years, three years. But the father is looking. And it says that when the father sees the son, he runs to the son. That was not a dignified thing to do. There was a a man who lived in Lebanon who... Uh, did a, an assessment of uh, kind of Bedouin people around Lebanon and kind of thought that this story would really touch them and really talk to them. And, and so they, he would take this story out of the prodigal son. And, and there were two counts on which that they had great difficulty with the story. One of the counts was that the father ran to the son. And there's a sense in which The slower one moved in that culture, the more dignified the person. And they couldn't imagine the father of a household. The the one that leads the household running to the son. But that's exactly the picture that Jesus is drawing. The other thing 
that they had great difficulty with was that when the son asked for his inheritance before the father was dead, they said that would never happen. That is too far out there. That, 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 is, that is the same exact thing as saying to your father, I wish you were dead. I have no use for you. I have no joy in this home. It would be better if you were dead. And in light of that, in recognition of the magnitude of these small details in a story that we've heard many times, we realize how grave the sin is that was committed by the son who went away. But in light of that gravity of sin, we also see the power and the abundance of God's grace towards broken sinners in that the Father ran to the Son. Why? Because something precious was lost. And lost people are precious to God. Second, we see in this passage that we must reflect the Father's heart in trying to find lost people. The point is kind of made already as we've looked at these passages and thought about them because something precious is lost. There is a lost sheep. There is a lost coin. There is a lost son. And God's heart is broken over that which is lost. But He doesn't just sit with His broken heart. He pursues those who are lost. The very picture of Jesus coming into the world is the exact representation of God's attitude towards those who are lost. We who are lost without a Savior. That a, there is... The heart of God trying to find lost people. Trying to bring lost people back to Himself. It is significant as we look at this story of the lost sheep. Notice what He says. And when, in verse 5, and when He finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. It is significant that one of the earliest existing sculptures from the Western church dates in the third century. And it is a carving of the good shepherd bearing a sheep, a lamb, on his shoulders. It is thought to have first come from the catacombs when the Christians were hiding out below Rome. The statue can be seen today in Lateran Museum in Rome. Besides its theme of carrying a lamb on its shoulders, the statue also displays the sweet, happy face of Jesus in finding that which was lost. Eventually, the persecuted church found immense comfort 
in the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus mentioned that joyfully he puts the sheep on its, his shoulders and tenderly with love carries it home. A lost sheep is more than just a missing piece of livestock. The picture is one of finding, searching, looking for that sheep and then finding that sheep and running up and picking it up and cleaning it off and picking it up and putting it on shoulders and with joy and celebration taking that sheep home. Same as in the story of the widow's lost coin. There is the finding of the coin and the celebration, the calling together of everyone because the search has been productive. It has reached the conclusion, the finding of that which was lost. God values that. When it comes to the third story, we are struck with the tenderness and grace of the father when he sees his son his son begins to confess his sins and to give his speech and the father stops him in the middle and brings the robe and brings the sandals and kills the fattened calf because that which was lost was found sometimes I've always wondered about that There's a sense in which there is more rejoicing for the one that is found than the 99 who are in the fold already. Why is that? Because there is a time for momentary joy because one is snatched from the fire. One is averting danger. One is finding life in the midst of loss. We do this over and over. We celebrate when a young child is stricken with a terrible sickness and then recovers. We celebrate that recovery even though we are just as thankful for the one child who never got sick. But there is a recognition that tragedy has been averted. And whenever someone comes to trust in Jesus, there is a celebration. And this is reflected in the last point. We must reflect the Father's heart in joy over everyone who believes. The story of the lost coin says that they had a party. They brought everyone together. But that verse 10 is really a profound verse. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one who repents. It's it's worded funny. I've looked it up and tried to interpret it a couple of different ways, but it certainly says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. There's not rejoicing of the angels. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Now, I think the angels are rejoicing. But who's in the presence of the angels? The God Himself. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. The lost are precious to God. 
And it calls for us to be as church, as representatives of Christ, as part of his people, as a demonstration of the glory and grace of Christ in the world that we value lost people. We love lost people. We care for, we'll interact with, we won't separate ourselves from, we'll pursue, we'll walk into relationship with lost people. And the hope will be that they will be found. That we can, by our lives and by our hope and by our love, share the the hope of Jesus. Point to Jesus as one who came to save broken down sinners as we are only dependent on His grace and His love. And then when someone trusts in Jesus, there is celebration. Because tragedy has been averted. Oh, that our hearts might be leaping with joy at the conversion of a lost person. I do agree with Charles Finney. That if our hearts are not rejoicing over a lost person finding Christ, it shows us something about our remembrance of the gospel, our understanding of our own salvation, and the power of God's grace to transform from death to life. It says something more about us. God rejoices in the presence of the angels when someone comes. And the news that we should remember here is that if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't received His grace, if you haven't been forgiven and you don't know what it means to trust in His sacrifice for you, you are precious to God. God longs for you to be found. And all will rejoice when you trust Him. So the opportunity is available today. For us who are believers, we must recognize and know that we are people representing God and His heart and His grace and His love. This chapter is to show us the Father's heart and His response to lost people, and therefore our love and our response to lost people as people who are to carry on His work through whom He works. There are important details in each of these parables that we could have looked at. But the overarching message of these parables is the love and grace of God. When we engage people around us with the good news of Jesus, we must display first God's love for people. They are precious to Him. Second, there should be a seeking after those people. They are precious people who need to be found. And third, there must be a celebration because tragedy has been averted. Salvation has come. Our lives should show this grace. One demonstration of this I came across was from the story and life of Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell is a 
uh, was a writer for the New York Times, a popular author, a young fella. But he talks about his rediscovery of faith. Through the encounter with a, a Mennonite couple from Canada, this couple went through a tragedy. This couple lost their daughter through an abduction. Causing a large-scale manhunt, the police found, finally found the teenager's body in a shed, frozen, her hands and feet bound together. At the news conference just after her funeral, the father said, We would like to know who the person or persons are who did this. So we could share, hopefully, a love that seems to be missing in these people's lives. The mother added, I can't say at this point, I forgive this person. Stressing the, the, stressing the phrase, at this point. But she went on to say, We have all done something dreadful in our lives, or have felt the urge to. This response was so different and so opposed to rage and anger that it was hard to understand and hard to comprehend. But this pulled Gladwell back to his Christian roots. roots. He said, It is one thing to read about the faith of people in the history books, but it is quite another to meet an otherwise ordinary person from an ordinary neighborhood with an ordinary house who manages to do something extraordinary. Their daughter was murdered. And the first thing the Dirksons did was to stand up at the press conference and talk about a path towards forgiveness. Gladwell said, Maybe we have difficulty seeing the weapons of the Spirit because we don't know where to look or because we are distracted by the louder claims of material advantage and possessions. But I have seen them now. And I will never be the same. The Dirksons were changed by the love of God in Christ Jesus. And therefore, they were going to respond in a way that reflects the God they knew. I'm not sure I could have done what they did. But God asks us, out of our relationship with Him and an understanding of His grace and love towards lost and broken people, to show forth His goodness, His grace, and His love. And the power of forgiveness and transformation and new life. It's not easy. But loving never is. Look at what it cost Jesus. May we follow Him in His grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are a God of grace. That You pursue people who are broken and lost, sinners and rebellious, for we are those people. 
But by Your grace and Your love, You called us to trust in Jesus. The One who paid the penalty for our sin. The One who opens the door to life. He is the bread of life. He is the great I Am. He is the Savior who is the Lamb of God. And He picks us up and He puts us on His shoulders. Lord, that grace changes us. And I pray that we, as Your people, as Your church, would be a picture of Your grace and Your love. May we be shaped by Your heart towards people who are lost. The life that You offer the celebration of new life in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.